Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. It's a new season, season four. It's a new month, February. And it's a new guest, Joey Hartstuff. The Thriller Zone begins now. Hi, this is Brian Cranston. The official trailer for the Showtime series, Your Honor, starts in three, two, one. Everything that happened flowed from that one moment, that one decision. Someone help me! Michael, I am offering you a chance to atone for what you have done to help eradicate an entire criminal organization for good. What exactly are you asking me to do? Did you ever tell anyone anything that I should be worried about? Your problem or my problem? The last time I saw someone get in his way, Baxter shot him in the head. Tread very carefully right now. Anger is where I want to live. Anger is where I flourish. I can't help you. Have I given you the impression that any of this is optional? If we do this correctly, every single person will get to what they deserve. Look who it is. Joey Hartstone is on the Thriller Zone. Jazz hands. (laughs) I am here. Thank you for having me back. It's good to be here. Dude, it's hard to believe. What was it? It was June 13th. I remember that because it was my mother's birthday. And we you were just kicking off talking about this little lovely piece of written architecture, the local for those folks who are not watching the show. And we're going to dive into this. We're going to talk about you being on your honor, uh, not actually acting because we I think we learned in our last show what your acting <laughs> chops are. <laughs> yes. uh, but we're going to talk about all that. And and look who is in the middle of the show, my co-host, the lovely and talented Tammy Temple. Hey, I'm always going to step in and chat with Joey. This is fun for me. Great. Tammy and was so... Go ahead. You said it was your mother's birthday and today is your birthday. Is that right? Well, that is correct. Yes, this well, is Happy Aaron. birthday. Thank you so much. Um <laughs> I'm not going to give you the number. I don't think it's really important, is it? <laughs> we'll assume yeah. high 30s. Okay, there you go. I thought, what better uh, what better birthday gift than to have Joey Hartstone on the show, right, honey? That's, uh, hey, this is the birthday gift I want. <laughs> Come back in October, Joey. We have big okay. things to talk about. I'll be there. Yeah. Yeah, 
we are such we're such Joey geeks. You know, you can all, when you're watching this show, folks, you always know who I kind of geek out about, and I geek out for different reasons. Um, when I first met Joe, well, first of all, this book came to me, the local, and I read it, and I'm like, okay, well, this is not a debut author. He's probably got six or eight somewhere in the coffer somewhere, and then we get on the show and we find out that that is indeed the case. Uh, and then we find out that he's written for television and so forth, which we're going to be talking about. But I, I want to talk about equal parts, the local and equal parts um, showtimes, Your Honor, because as Tammy's going to jump in here in a second, we are we like most of the world loves to <laughs> binge stream. And Your Honor, when we came across this, we it just stopped us in our track because of so many reasons and i'm going to flash up here in the edit the cover to the screenplay which has our executive producer and showrunner joe on it and then we're going to talk about where the story came from but tammy just share this big old your honor love well we counted down the days for your honor to come back on again for season two and um David and I are big content geeks. So whenever we like something, we want to figure out um, why did it come back? We want to analyze everything. But they tied everything up so well last time, even though they were uh, tragic um, situations, everything was tied up. So what did it take for Showtime to get everyone back together talking about how would we want to do another season? Um, what do you think they potentially want to have as their takeaways for the second season? I could go on and on, but these are the types of conversations that David and I have when we watch a series that we really like. We have this, um, this lull around our house when the season wraps because it's been such a part of our, our time. And then, you know, um, like I said, it's, it's counting down the days before the season starts again. So we're really, I'm really excited to get into the nitty gritty and, and hear your behind the scenes about season two, and maybe you'll share some season one stuff as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, very exciting. We are about, what, four episodes out now, and it's, uh, it's thrilling to see them come out. Did you, do you want me to, uh, to dive into what happened with season one and why, why there is a season two? How about we do this? I have a piece of video that I snatched off of Showtime. Mm -hmm. By the way, thank you to Showtime for giving us permission to air a couple of clips. As you saw at the beginning of the show, we kicked off with Brian doing the three, two, one to the new trailer, which is an awesome trailer. But I've got a piece of video that uh, Brian is talking about the ripple effect, which I think was so mm -hmm. good, so tight. It's only a couple of minutes. So let's watch that. And then when we come back, Joey, I'd love for you to drill down from there. Is that cool? Sure. All right. So here comes Brian. Something happened. Oh my God. Season one of Your Honor was all about what you would do to protect the life of your child. Michael's son gets into an accident, and at that moment, in that split second, a ripple effect was created, and it all came crashing down. The 
car crash starts the path of everyone in the show. The legal side, the desire crew, the mafia. For Gina, it caused her son's death. And the death of Rocco pervades every piece of season one. Jimmy Baxter thought he was doing what was best for his son, but he's a very revengeful man. You've left my son to die. Michael has a tendency to pull everybody else in and put them at risk. It's just like mistake after mistake, and it screws everything up for everyone. It just starts this death and destruction and consequence. At the end of season one, you know, when it went black, you just want to know what's going to happen next. I was so excited to see what the aftershocks of that would be. How are the people that are still here dealing with that? There were so many loose ends and storylines. I really felt like we were not finished. You need to watch yourself. On season two, Michael is a completely different person. Have I given you the impression that any of this is optional? There's an exploration for Michael to question everything that he did. When Adam killed Rocco, everything that happened flowed from that one moment. What's the end of the ripple effect going to be? The audience doesn't know. I don't know. You're really going to see cracks within the foundation of all these families. It still unfolds and unravels and still is very ugly and falling apart. What a tangled web we weave. I thought that was so particularly fantastic. It reminded me of that theory of the butterfly effect. So when I saw this ripple effect, I thought, wow, it's so true how tragedy begets tragedy. So I'd love to hear, especially from the executive producer and uh, a writer in that world, how did that come about? Yeah, one of the fun things about this show was that the central premise is so strong that Every time you go to work on the next episode, you have all this material that you already have. You already It's already propelling you to the next story. Um, so not that you know exactly where it's going, but you always have things you have to address and things that you have to pick up. And I think that season one sort of beautifully ended with uh, finality for what was the central story, but also there was so much left to tell. So I think that um, Showtime was obviously happy with the show. And I think that Brian in particular was was curious to know where his character might be after this. And wasn't it Showtime's most highly rated show ever? Something like that. Yeah, I yeah. think it, it, did, it did really well, which is exciting um, to see. Yeah. I'm sure that had a little bit of something to do with them wanting to come back for another run. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, the way I think series work a lot now, even if it's, you know, a limited series may never be limited and, a, and a, an ongoing series may end up only having one season. So I think you sort of treat uh, season finales like they might be series finales, which is why we got such a beautiful and kind of conclusive uh, end to season one. But but like I said, there, there was so much left and this ripple effect continues to go into season two. And so it wasn't difficult to to think about where some of these characters might end up. Did some of the characters have um, demands would be a strong word, but um, specific requests or um, 
direction they would like their character to go or the story to go in order for them to participate? Not, not too much. Um, I mean, I, I definitely had conversations with all the actors and, and they have, I mean, I sort of look at them as the custodians of their characters because they often know their characters better than even the writers do. Um, and so they're an important voice um, for that. And, and they certainly will give notes on scripts and we'll have conversations about the direction of things. Uh, the one exception, though, is, of course, Brian had, had a great deal of input. He's also an executive producer on the show. And, and so he had a lot of ideas about about what where Michael Desiato would be after season one, after I assume we're going to talk spoilers of season one in the first four episodes of season two here. So <laughs> spoiler alert. But after losing his son at the end of season one. Um, I think he was very interested in seeing where a man who had lost everything, uh, how he would continue on. And let me interject something here. While you did just give a spoiler and we didn't start the show by saying, watch out, spoiler alerts. I look at it this way. We are now so well into season two that this podcast is not only to talk about Joey and the book and the show, but really to talk about as the Thriller Zone broadens their scope and their reach as to mystery, thriller, uh, psychological thriller, political thriller, etc., and from books to TV to film, etc. So that's why this is so essential. So if you're sitting here going, oh, you told me about, yeah, but you know what? Big surprise. If you, you know, it's, that was last year. So go get caught up. I'm just saying, go get caught up and you, st there's still plenty of thrills for everyone. I could have probably started with a smaller spoiler than the biggest one I could imagine <laughs> for the series, but <laughs> that's perfectly okay. All is good here, but I do, you know, and I don't want to put anybody too much on the spot, but Sometimes I do. Uh, so I know Brian Cranston, being the star and the and one of the EPs, has a great say in it. I had heard rumors somewhere. I don't know if it was on YouTube or social media or Showtime feed or something that he that this may possibly be uh, be it. However, I also know I got two thoughts here. One is I know that when things are really going well, sometimes you turn around, you go, well, you know what? This is good after all. I hadn't thought about that and let's keep going. Conversely, Tammy and I just watched a show. I think I'll be kind and not say which show it was, but sure. it was clearly a yeah. show that had, by the time they went the third round, we both looked at each other like, uh, they should have just stopped while they were ahead. Because sometimes a show will bump, 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 bump. And then, yeah, okay, give me two. But when they get to two, they have clearly done everything they're going to do. Yeah, so I, I think that's always a consideration, especially um, for Showtime and for Brian. They don't want to just, uh, you know, bring it at, back out for a third round that that's going to underperform and, and seem like we're just rehashing old things. And, and that's one of the interesting things about the second season is, it, 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 especially with Michael's character, it's not just a carbon copy of the first season. It's a totally different story. Um, and so, yeah, I, I have no idea if there will be a future for this. Like we kind of approach the second season the way we did the first, which is let's sort of go all in on telling the best stories we can and also trust that we've created such compelling characters and, and you know, there's an enduring story if perhaps it ends up going that path. Well, and let's not forget the fact that not only was Brian a little bit younger then, but he he was clean cut. He was at the top of his game. And when you see season two and all this hair and the big beard, and he is clearly a man that has been beaten down mm -hmm. by life. So that juxtaposition 
is so powerful. Contradiction and juxtaposition is so powerful <laughs> that you're like, well, yeah, it's it's clearly two different worlds, right, hon? Yeah, and yes, I agree with you. And the theme for season one, Your Honor, was more than just him being an honorable judge. It was really about his honor as a person is how I looked at it. So if you look at season two, are there any specific takeaways like that, that you're trying to weave into your characters or into your storyline? Yeah. I mean, Brian likes to talk about this as, as a story of redemption or, or is, is redemption even possible? And yeah, I mm -hmm. think that, I think his story in season one, um, you know, he's doing everything he can to save his son and, and, I think the audience at least understands, if not forgives him for some of the mistakes he makes because of that, but he makes some very big mistakes and then loses his son on top of it. And so when we find him in season two, I think now we're, we're, we're focused on how does that character who lost this son endure, but also can he atone for, for the sins that he committed? And if so, to whom does he owe an apology and then some, I like the little psychological warfare that he just dropped on Carl. Is it Carlo? Yeah. This yeah. last uh, episode, I thought it was hilarious. So I'm curious to see if um, he will have some of those little nuggets throughout uh, his interactions with this other family too. Yeah. I, I love that scene in the park. Um, this, <laughs> one of the interesting things about this season was that Brian was very specific. He's like, I, I don't want it to be, you find me and I'm really down on my luck. But then by the end of episode one, all right, I'm back and I'm back at it. He's like, I want the story to be about piecing a man back together. And so it's very, very methodical in that sense. And there are moments in each episode where he comes back to life just a little bit. And sometimes they're scripted with that intention. And then sometimes you just see it happen. So I don't always, you know, I certainly don't know how every actor is going to perform a scene. And in that case, um, I, I really had no idea that Brian was going to, I, I felt like he came to life. I feel like he got goaded uh, by a really mean thing that Carlo says to him. And he's like, you know what? I am smarter than you, even though my mind is not racing at the same speed it used to. I'm still smarter than you. I, I can still threaten you. I can still scare you. And, and it's a really nice small turn uh, for that character in the third episode. I really like that. Um, one of the other things that I liked about how season one ended is that, um, it wasn't this happy ending where you walk away and go, oh, wow, isn't that fantastic? Everything just tied together like a perfect Rainbows. little bow, rainbows and butterflies. Uh. I like the fact that, um, it was real, like it's more, uh, the reality is that the probability of this happening is greater than the probability of these two families coming to terms and sharing holidays together. I yeah. think that's one of yeah. the reasons why David enjoy some uh, foreign series where you have dramas that it's okay to not end on this high note. It's okay to tie things up where there is loss, there's devastation, and some families don't recover during the actual series. So I've really enjoyed how true to life you've been throughout 
season one for sure. And now taking it into season two. Yeah. I I mean, I I share everything you said. I love the end of season one. And even though I was in the writer's room for season one, when, when that writer's room ended, we only had nine scripts. And so Peter Moffat, who created the show and was a showrunner in season one, had not yet written the finale. So watching it as it debuted on television, I had no idea how it was going to end. Um, and the further we got, I remember looking at my wife and saying, I, I kind of hope he kills Adam. It feels, it feels karmically like it's a, an appropriate conclusion. Like I don't want to see the character die, but it feel, it feels like it'd be a bold and correct choice. And to your point about foreign shows, Peter's British. And, and I think often they have, you know, they do one or two seasons and that's it. So they don't, they don't worry. Well, if I kill this character off eight seasons from now, I may want him back. Um, they just right. make the choices they want to make for story. I'm going to go back to something that, that was said earlier, and I'm going to insert a video here. And I was, it has to do with Brian Cranston's character and how he makes choices. And I was watching this clip inside. Oh, I'm watching the show actually, and I videotaped it. And it's it's a, a testimony to Brian's craft and his his capture of the craft, which just is thoroughly amazing to me. And I watched it with the sound down, and then I watched it again with the sound up. I'm going to play this little bit of clip. Watch this here. If you don't want us to bother you, I'll, I'll respect no, it. I don't know what I want. It's, it's just a lot. I know. Um, well, I'll leave you to it. Are you working tomorrow? And notice how when he was in that scene, he's there at the butcher shop talking to, and this is not giving anything away, and he's talking to uh, who would have been his daughter-in-law. And it's the moment that, it. what I love about Brian is the camera comes in on him. He does so much with so little. And that's one of the, my, the most fascinating things about the, the actors who really are masterful of their craft because they allow the viewer to sit there and go, Oh, what's going through his mind? Oh, is this going through his mind? Maybe this is going through his mind, right? Yeah, it's it's really impressive, and and you have to trust that the audience is on the edge of their seat and paying close attention, and and yeah, you just have to have I think a lot of a lot of confidence in what you're doing and that it's it's coming across. But that's how he plays it the whole way through, and I think it's yeah. really effective. Your other storylines are equally as tantalizing. On Sunday, we saw, and pardon me, I'm I'm blanking on the the young child whose family, spoiler alert, whose home was blown up in Eugene. season one. Eugene, you see how how traumatized he is when someone slams that locker door and he's petrified, and um, you see him in the parking lot in that scene. Um, I'll be very mindful of not giving up too much away, but you do a really good job and he does a great job of presenting his trauma. You can see that he's visibly shaken. And now I'm curious to see if his decisions that will unfold maybe in next week's episode are based on the trauma that he's going through versus what someone who hadn't been through that trauma, would they make a different choice as the yeah. the storyline unfolds 
Yeah, I, that's a word that we used a lot in the writers' room was trauma because yeah. every character that we brought back from for season two had experienced incredible trauma. And Eugene, I mean, he's not the star of the show, um, but just sort of quantifiably, he lost more than Michael did. He lost four siblings and his mother in season one. And yeah, he's been through a lot of terrifying uh, traumatic experiences. And so it's, um, and he's 17. And right. so you add that to it and hit the decisions that he might make and, and sort of what calculation goes into it. It's, it's definitely been impacted. At the end of that scene, we, as soon as the season, uh, that show ended, we turned to each other and went, what's going to happen to Eugene? Yeah. Since he has blank, is he going to do blank with blank or <laughs> is he going to do blank with blank? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Is he going to go this way or that way? Because he could yeah. be a hero over here or a real a-hole over here. But yeah, because well, I don't, tra- yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I don't, I don't know how much Peter was thinking about it when, when he wrote that scene in that story, but you know, season one begins with a, a child accidentally killing a child. And, and that's basically how season one ends. And that's what we pick up with season two is that's, you know, that wasn't an intended consequence of his actions. And so there was a nice symmetry to that too. <laughs> The other point I'd like to make, you know, we were talking about honor and which is, you know, honor and and integrity in season one, but also the reality of the fact that life isn't black and white. We like to think that, you know, I'm a person that's black and white. I make choices and this is what it comes down to. But the reality is, is all of these characters end up really living in the gray and how are they going to maneuver in, you know, these scenarios, which aren't necessarily always black and white. Yeah, no, I, I think that's so right. I think with Michael's character, I, I think he almost could justify all of his actions because he felt deep down that he was a good person. And so I think he's now having to reconcile that. And then I think that we have other care. I think, that's a common struggle among some of our characters. And then I think we have a couple characters that actually don't care that much <laughs> or they're not conflicted about who they are. And it's interesting to see how they make decisions and how they proceed without, without necessarily being burdened by um, worrying about that too much. I'm thinking of Hope Davis's character as you're speaking. Yeah. 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 She's, I love she's, that. <laughs> I, I enjoy anger. <laughs> I thrive in anger. <laughs> she's she's so fun she's so fun to write that was the first day i met her was filming the 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 two um grief group scenes and i I walked in and she'd already been filming and she was filming the first one and she was seated with her legs just man spread as she said and i i asked i asked our script supervisor on set i said katie is is that how she's been sitting in every take? And she's like, every single one. <laughs> she, Hope just makes these choices and they're incredible. And she's 100% uh, committed to the direction of this character. And it's great. And it's so funny. I noticed that. And I said, that is a guy stance. That is mm-hmm. a, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to show you. Uh, it's metaphorically. Yeah, yeah. The goods are right here. I'm in control. Uh, Fooey on Yui, although the Fooey would sound a little bit different. Let's take a real quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the business of show business. And of course, circle back around to talk about The Local, which happens to be a fantastic thriller read, in case you guys are wondering. It's Joey Hartstone, Tammy, and David Temple here on The Thriller Zone. Stay with us. 
Today's episode is sponsored by The Story Factory and the upcoming visionary genre-bending debut novel, Grand Theft AI by James Cox. In San Francisco 2051, kids now get high-slotting wafers of data under the ear, and they'll pay fat crypto for the best at the hottest club in the city, The Fang. Thief Baz Covain and underworld fixer Rhea Rose team up with a crack group of cyber misfits to steal from the Fang's psychotic kingpin, Otto Rex. But first, they'll have to hack into his mind and infiltrate his highly secure lair of physical and virtual firewalls. It's a score that could set them up for life, if they can survive before Blackhawks touch down with federal warrants for Grand Theft AI. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available for pre-order now. The best thrillers, the thriller zone. And now back to the show. And we're back. Thanks for staying with us. Joey Hartstone is the author of The Local. He's also EP and showrunner for the TV show on uh, Showtime called Your Honor. And the beautiful gal in the middle is my lovely wife, Tammy. We were talking just before the break about um, some of the things that we really, really love about the Showtime show, Your Honor. Thanks again to Showtime for letting us uh, indulge. Uh, our uh, love of this show, and Joey, I want to dive into a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna go full circle, so we come back to your book too. But I want to talk about the business of show business because now I know you've written two films. You're not brand new to the television world and film world. You did LBJ back in 2016, and you did Shock and Awe the next year. You wrote on first two seasons of The Good Fight. But this, am, am I correct in saying this is your first television showrunner experience where it's literally your baby? Yeah, this is my first time as showrunner uh, for season two of Your Honor. And I was yeah. on season one as a writer. And how does that happen? How do, First of all, how does one get in to be a showrunner, executive producer? And then how, do, how much time does one generally need to put in in, in, you know, the the first season, say, before you get to call of the bigger shots? Yeah, I think there's there's various paths. Um, it usually takes uh, several years. I mean, there, there's probably eight different titles in a, uh, in a television writer's room. And usually season by season, you get one title bump. Um, the kind of the shortcut to becoming a showrunner would be if you create, if it was your idea, if the show was your idea, if you created it, or if, if you wrote the book that it's based on and you're also going to write the episodes. Um, and in this case, yeah, we, we had um, Peter Moffat created the first season and was a showrunner the first season. And, and then we had turnover with our showrunners. Um, and I was just, I think, fortunate that I had been on season one and, and all the other writers on season one had, had found other things to do and they were all busy. And, and um, I think I was just a, a candidate that was available and willing to do it. <laughs> I'm sure it was only because you were available. No talent involved in this one. Well, I, I can tell I, I could tell you a little story that kind of goes behind the scenes as to how it happened, which ties into the show, um, which was our, my previous boss had asked us to write um, just to write any scene we wanted to write for season two, um, which <laughs> usually I'm not a fan of, of kind of writing exercises, but this turned out to be a really valuable one. Um, and we got a lot, a lot of good material out of it, but you get to see what each writer is sort of interested in writing and which which storylines and characters appeal to the writer's room. And so an example is, is uh, Danny Viteri, who wrote the second episode of this season, 
she wrote a scene where um, the mayor and his best friend Michael are talking about the mistakes they made in season one and it, and they're talking about disappearing the car um, and it ends with Michael saying it, it was a car, not a body. And then Charlie says it was a coffin with a set of headlights. So she actually used that in her episode and it's a great line and a great scene. Um, so I, I, wrote a, I wrote a scene that was just sort of what intrigued me from season one. And I think when they when it came time to look for somebody to become the new showrunner, um, Liz Glotzer, who's one of the executive producers and the president of King Size Production, really liked that scene. And I think she submitted that as sort of a sample of, of what I was interested in and what my point of view was. Um, and the scene that I had written, I thought... I wanted to question the central premise of season one. Um, the, the motivation is a guy will do whatever he can to protect his child. But the, the premise was that his child was in danger. And I thought, well, Michael walked into the police station with about to turn in his son. His son was going to confess to accidentally hitting and killing somebody. And then he saw this mob boss and realized who had been killed. And it was the mob boss's son. And so he decided I have to save my son's life, but no one ever actually explicitly threatened his son. And, we have a character who sat in prison for a year and I wondered, he's got to be agonizing over every little decision he made. I'm sure he, I'm sure he's preoccupied with, did I even make the right call right then? So I wrote a scene where he asked the father of the dead child, did I make the right call? Um, and that became a, a scene that was in the third episode of the season uh, as, as Michael talks to Jimmy Baxter in the bar and says, you know, did I do the right thing? Was, I, was my calculation at least correct? And then I wanted Jimmy to respond as cruelly as possible and say, no, I would have forgiven him and just put a nail in that coffin. All right. Now, is this the same? There was one moment that I love. They're standing in the bar and, and, and the mob boss says, you know, if you just come to me. And just explained it. Yeah, everything would have been perfectly fine. And you're sitting there as the viewer, going, "Wow, does he have a heart?" And then the moment, then they walk out in the hallway, and the guy says, "Would you really have, boss?" I'm <laughs> yeah. basically paraphrasing. He goes, "Oh no, I would have killed him with my own hands." And I was like, "Wow, that was such a great." Is this is is this the same scene? Yeah, so that's, that's <laughs> the scene that I wrote that I think helped me get the job. So I figured. People liked it, so we'd, we'd try to put it into an episode somewhere. Oh, my God. This was one of my favorite scenes of that last episode. God. So both of those scenes that you just talked about, there was a pause. David grabbed the mm -hmm. remote, paused, and we both talked about those very scenes and about that line that, is it Danielle? Danny? Uh, Danny, yeah. What Danny wrote. And when she put the punchline on, it's a coffin with headlights on. That was classic. And then yeah. to put the period at the end of the story on your scene, was it Frankie? Yeah, Frankie. When Frank looks at Baxter and basically says exactly what David just said, and then true to Baxter gangster form, turns around and says, absolutely yeah. not. I would have killed him with my own hands. You guys, it's phenomenal. And Joey, I mean, your work is is stunning. To me, when David said that you were the showrunner and, and leading the crew, I was not surprised at all. You're just such a huge talent. No, thank you. You're welcome. Um, I was surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, that probably goes to the beauty of who you are as a person. And that probably speaks more about your character. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. I, I mean, every one of these jobs, there's so many components to it that there's just no possible way you could train for it or, or even be exposed to it until you do it. So mm-hmm. I, I think with, with, with all of these things that I've done, you always have the, um, the imposter syndrome the first time you do it. Sure. Sure. I, I don't even know how it works, but um, I've been fortunate. And there's so many talented people and so many EPs on this show who kind of lift it up and, and make sure everything gets done correctly. So. Well, you guys do a great job. Like David said, right out of the gate, it's one of our favorite shows. We've looked forward to it coming back ever since it was announced that it was coming back for another season when he got a chance to talk to you last year. I mean, it was a highlight for us because we devour content and you're just a, you're a great writer with your book and you're a great writer for all of these series. So thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Let me jump in here among the uh, love fest and say something that uh, I was looking at the, and I'm going to flash it up here on the screen. Uh, This is the uh, cover of the screenplay. You'll see it's episode 201, part 11 of your honor written by Joey directed by Peter Solid, And it's based on, and this is what I love this based on the Israeli series. Am I pronouncing this right? Kavodo? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Created by uh, Ron Nino and Shlomo Masiak, or something to that effect. And so I went down the rabbit hole, looked at the trailer, and I'm like, wow, yeah. So here's my question. First of all, I, and we, we discovered a show called uh, Fauda, which I think was originally an Israeli-based show. And um, since we love uh, foreign films and foreign projects, it was kind of a natural fit and we went down that path. So when I saw this, I'm like, Oh, interesting based on this really serious. So here's my question as the showrunner, you made a comment earlier in the show about sometimes when you bring a project to the plate, uh, to the table, that that is uh, part of the th- incentive to perhaps move you into that showrunner position. Did you find this particular uh, project uh, and, and therein lies how you got in that position? So I'm not exactly sure how this got done, but I think we have a lot of executive producers on the show. One is Rob Goldenberg, and I believe he's the one who who found this this show and thought this would make we this, we should adapt this for an American audience. Um, and I think he brought it to King Size Productions, which was Liz Glotzer, Robert Michelle King, who created The Good Fight, um, and then they brought it to Peter Moffat, who was the showrunner and, and get, it has the created by credit. So he, it was really Peter who then re-envisioned it um, as an American show. Got it. Okay. All right. Well, fascinating uh, little side note on there. And um, one of the things I wanted to say in that back to the you know transition back and forth betra- between writing uh, long form novels and short form TV scripts what what kind of advice, you know, because I'm always looking for advice, Joey, let's face it, you know, because we all want to be inspired. We all want to learn how the system works. Is there a way, do you have a piece of advice? Now, since you sit on a fence, uh, one leg is in long form, one leg is in short form. And I think I may have mentioned this back in June. Is there, how, what would you say to someone who wanted to traverse both of those uh, journeys? Yeah, I would usually just say, write what you want to write. Um, so I'm, I I wrote the book because I I had an idea and I thought it would make a good book. So I wrote it as a book. And if I had an idea that I thought was a feature, I would write it as a feature. Um, because otherwise I think sometimes you're trying to shoehorn something where it may not belong. 
Um, but I, yeah, I, I like that component to this job that I get to, to write different, different styles and different genres and then even different medium. And since we're on the local, which, uh, we're going to, sh- we're going to show and, and talk about, I, I want to know this, um, and, and it's a logical fit. I think, do you see, and do you have control in perhaps is even a better question, a sequel and, or do you have plans on, you know, turn it into a full blown series and having our guy, um, trying to, th- uh, he's a very, um, James Euchre be an ongoing dude. Yeah, I so the first time I thought of this story, I actually thought of it as, as a TV series. Um, so I do want it to be ongoing. And, I, and I, I think I mentioned last time I was here that I was really inspired by the Lincoln Lawyer series. And I love that character. And, and I don't create that many original stories and characters. So when I have one, I prefer to hold on to them and just keep using them. So I, w- I would love to write more books. I have a couple ideas of what the, the next installments could be. Uh, but I think the next uh, the next part of the chapter of The Local will hopefully be a TV series. So. Should nice. we put a pin in the calendar, Joey? No, I don't think it's it's there yet. But um, so again, I be, I also like working with the same people over and over again if I can. And so um, Liz Glotzer and Robert Michelle King have, have uh, they they were early readers of the book, and they Michelle even blurred it. Um, but so they've signed on to be producers, and then it's set up at uh, at CBS Studios. So ultimately, we'll either pitch it or write it and then see if we can find a network and a home for it. Um, but that that was meant to be this past year. And then I obviously got busy with your honor. So we put a pin in that and I'm hoping that uh, this year we'll, uh, we'll get some traction and find out where it might, where it might live. Good for you. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. I would love to see that ad- adaptation. Yeah, it feels um, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a Lincoln Lawyer is such a good uh, comparison, but... But better. I um, was just going to say, but better. <laughs> yeah, of course. On the cover, I did not notice this, Joey. Um, and maybe I just wasn't paying attention or I wasn't in the slipstream yet or fill in the blank. Who the hell knows? But I'm picking up the book yesterday and I'm using it as a prop to work on some artwork. And I'm like, oh, sizzling, fast-paced, Reed Hartstone paints a vivid picture of a small town Texas court where a few uh, old feuds and allegiances mean anything could happen. And I'm like. Oh, William Landy. Oh, there's a guy who did Defending Jacob. And I went, honey, Defending Jacob. Remember that show? And which we absolutely loved. Come to find out. Hold on. Hold on. So he kicks off March right here on the Thriller Zone. Oh, really? Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I, I love that show. I, I love that book, too. Um, it, he was one of the last people to, to blurb the book. We were obviously incredibly excited, but I love that show. I think it was on Apple. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was exactly the type of show I want, like a great legal thriller with a, a compromised lawyer at the center of it. Um, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic show. Good Not twist. To- yeah, yeah, yeah. Not to yeah. Uh, not to take away from Showtime because uh, that's all we're talking about today. But if you wanted to go down memory lane and see Defending Jacob, it is well worth a visit. What are your days like? Like you were talking about, how does someone get into this role? Um, how does someone move up the up the chain in this environment? What is your typical day like, Joey? Well, my days used to be when I'm writing on my own, it's usually wake up early sometime around five or six and write for a few hours until I kind of run out of steam. And then I have the rest of the day. Uh, When you're in a writer's room, 
uh, when I was in the writer's room for the good fight, we, it was pre COVID. So we were in the room for about eight or nine hours a day, five days a week. Now it's, it's virtual. Um, so it's actually fewer hours, usually three or four hours. Um, but then when you become a showrunner, it's, um, it's there, there's, there's more to do than there are hours in the day. And, and which I, I, I say that truthfully because it, one of the challenges was realizing I had every day I had to make decisions of what I just wasn't going to get to. So it's prioritizing and then also realizing you just don't have the bandwidth or the time to do everything. So you have to really figure out what needs your attention and what you can kind of either delegate or just is not as important. But it was, uh, it was, it was, I mean, there were 18 hour days for, for several months and it was wow. a very challenging job. Well, we started off our conversation and I'm, <clears throat> I'm not sure here in the final edit, if our very first conversation will make it, but we, uh, we were greeting one another on camera as saying, uh, how much time had, uh, kicked us around the curb a little bit <laughs> since last we saw each other. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a nice way to say it. And 18 hour days, you can't get out of that unscathed, Joey. No, I mean, there we were there at one point for several months. It, it was like there was a writer's room. We were writing episodes. We were also shooting. So I would try to go to set when I could. And we were also editing episodes. So it, it, around the middle of the season, we're doing all three things at once. And they're all sort of full-time job. So I, I, I went to set as often as I could, but I didn't get to be there all the time. And I was in the writer's room when I could, but the writers were doing a lot of great work when I was absent. Um, and then, and the funny thing is, you know, your most important job is really writing and no one really cares about, they want the result, but no one during the working hours of the day is separating time so that you can go write. They assume you're going to do that when everyone else is asleep or just waking up. So uh, it's hard to steal those hours, but you kind of have to find them wherever they are. As we start to, I want to start wrapping things up here because I know you have uh, plenty of stuff to do today. I, I was, I'm going to go back to, because I sat and watched uh, our June 13th episode from last year. And as I always ask, as we wrap shows, what's the best piece of writing advice? I recalled your saying, you write because you have to write. And the real secret, and I always love this, it's always stuck with me, is completion. Because there are a lot of writers who talk about, oh, I want to write, and then they never really quite ever fully complete something. They'll start and start and start again. So I was curious, while I know it's only been eight months, barely eight months, has your attitude, insight, and or advice shifted at all now seeing more of life than you have, whether it's toward writing television or writing books? I'm really more specifically about books, but drilling down on that advice, has it shifted at all, Joey? Yeah, I guess the further I go into having a professional career, the 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 further away you get from whether you were in college or whenever it was when you started writing and you thought like, uh, well, the, the lighting has to be perfect. I have to have a half a glass of Jack right here. And, and, and you thought, you know, or I have to be in the right Starbucks or whatever it is. And um, the more you do this, I think the more you realize like it, it is a job. I, I think it's, it's, I mean, it's an art form, but it's a job. And, and so I think that's where completion is one element. But yeah, just, just, doing the work and, and knowing that you probably have people who have expectations and who have money on the line for, for the projects that you're writing and, and nobody cares if you're just not feeling it that day, uh, which happens, which for absolutely happens. Um, but that's part of the job too, is figuring out how to get through that and get through it quickly so that you can actually meet your deadlines. But yeah, it's money and time and deadlines. 
I don't know where I heard this phrase, but someone said, you know, you, you always hear about writer's block. And the, and this particular person said, yeah, but you don't hear cops saying, I've got cops block, or fireman, I've got fireman block. I, I can't quite focus on the fire today, or I can't go chase bad guys today. Because <laughs> I thought that was so funny, because really, back to your point about a job, it is just a job. I mean, not just, but it's a job and you have to perform, period, right? Yeah, and I think sometimes you almost start to blow it up into this thing in your mind that is worthy of of having artistic writer's block and things like that. And I, I think you can you can make it grander than it is. And if you look at it as a job and you have a skill set, you can apply that. It works better some days than others. But uh, yeah, I think you, you just have to go and, and do it and, and get it done on time. And, and 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 I say the completion because I when you're trying to break in at least into into Hollywood with screenplays and and television shows. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of your lottery ticket. It's the one way in is showing something that you've written. And if you can't finish it, you can't share it and you can't get lucky. Um, so I think the more chances you give yourself to get lucky, the better off you're going to be. That's a great phrase. You can't, you don't get the chance to get lucky because it, luck is a lot of part of it. A lot of people yeah. say, oh, I just fell into it. Mm, if you did the work, you didn't just fall into it. Right. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, it's a combination. I, I, I certainly think I'm incredibly lucky. And in when I look at the moments that have just sort of changed the course of my life and my career, there is always incredible luck and things that were entirely out of my control that had to go correctly for me to get what I got. So, um, yeah. But usually I also had written something that helped me get there. And so I, I think about that every time I write because I don't know where it's going, where that thing is going to get me. But sure. Well, and I feel like luck can open a door. You just have to have the talent in order to stay in that room and continue to move to that next door of opportunity. And that's what, you know, when we talk about a lot of the stuff that you've done, whether it's writing your book or this TV series is, you know, your talent and the group of people that surround this cast to write the content is let me tell you, David and I watch a lot of content. We've watched a lot of content over the last few years and good writers, good character development, good stories really stand out. And, and you guys do a great job of that. So it's talent. Well, thanks. Yeah. Well, you know, hearing you talk about the talent of other people, that's, a, that's another thing that can kind of light a fire under a writer, I think, is when you see, first of all, the hundreds of people on set who are working 12 or 14 hour mm -hmm. days you can't you can't work fewer hours because you're not working as hard as they are but then also watching the actors i mean they they don't really they i can at least take an hour off and try to get my head right and come back and write an hour later but they have to go when the camera starts rolling and so i don't i think correctly so there's not a great deal of sympathy among <laughs> all the other people who are working hard for writer's block uh you can't really phone that yeah. in as your excuse and expect right. they're going to care I think of the days when I was shooting a film and, and having been on both sides of the camera is that's so true. You, you, you got, to, when it's time for you to hit your mark and deliver, you can't go, you know what? I got a little bit of a headache right now. Can we yeah. just take a break? Because yeah. that clock is running. Those meters are running. Money is, is pouring out of the machine. So you got to yeah. deliver. And I, I'm always in such admiration when you see professionals like Hope Davis and Brian Cranston and all of them those are the first two that popped into my head is that they, when they show up, 
and you, I know you know this because you're right there on the front line. They show up, they're ready to go. Then it's yeah. like it's like the 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 gas is pressed. All you got to do is say go, and boom, the foot is down, and they're gone. And that's such a great thing to watch. Yeah, yeah. Every, everyone showed up to set, um, fully prepared all the time, and and yeah, our cast is amazing. And I think all of them see the work that's done around you. I mean, if you'd have to kind of have blinders on to not realize how hard the crew is working, how hard all these people are working to have everything in place so that you can do your job. So you owe them um, the respect of showing up, having done your job already. And and everyone in our show does that. Yeah. I think of the days that I've watched people show up and they don't, wouldn't have their lines or they'd have their sides down underneath the table and they'd be, you know, grabbing them just before the shot. And I'm like, wow, how disrespectful are you to the whole crew who showed up uh, 17 yeah. hours ahead of you and made this thing just fall in front of you. And you're like, you're grabbing your lines before the camera rolls. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, hey, uh, Tammy, any cl- closing thoughts before we hit one of our favorite things, which is rapid fire questions? I mean, I could sit here. I think we just need to schedule a time when we can go up and spend a little bit of an afternoon or early evening with Joey and Abby and Teddy and just yeah. chat about things in general because it's. I could sit That's here good. and chat for the next hour. <laughs> And we yeah, talked about doing that. this, and then just about the time we we're like, "Oh, great, the holidays are over," and we're like, "Hey, let's go up and see." Oh, he's right in the middle of the show. Oh, <laughs> I guess it'll be spring, so we are coming, dude. You're just gonna okay. Make we'll make it happen. happen. <laughs> All right. All right. Sounds good. Well, it's time for you know little rapid fire questions. You were so good at this last time. Uh, I thought we'd just do it again. You're taking Joey now a much needed vacation uh, uh, for a month after your honor because you've worked you've you 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 deserve this anyway you've decided to take one book to read while you're away i always like to see what's on the nightstand what are you going to read while you're on your vacay i'm going to read a book called in the blood by charles barber because my wife abby and i are adapting it as a feature film and i need to read it about 10 times before we can do that (laughs) oh honey i'm i just wrote it down yeah Yeah. Yeah. i got it excellent Ooh, baby, that is exciting. You want to expand on that or are we just going to let it roll with that? It comes out sometime this summer. Uh, so it's not, it's not actually, it hasn't been released, it hasn't been published yet, but it's a, it's a book about a, a, a couple of guys who invented a, a blood clotting, um, not device, but blood clotting technique uh, that saves a lot of people's lives now in, in really traumatic situations. So uh, oh. it's a really cool, really cool uh, character study and and look into how uh, you create a product and how you try to get it out to the consumers or in this place, people who, you know, truly desperately need their, uh, their materials. So nice. Okay. Awesome. Number two, while you're enjoying said time off, will you a, Work out every day to keep fit, or B, eat, drink, and be merry, napping your time away. I will A, start working out again for the first time in a year. <laughs> well, listen, little Mr. 30, you're in your you're still in your 30s, right? Nope, in my 40s. 40s, okay. Well, Mr. In Your 40s, fast forward a couple of decades, and uh, let me tell you how hard it is to bounce back, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> And number three, thanks to the success of the local and your honor, Hollywood has come to you and said, hey, they're going to completely fund your next passion project, whatever it is, no holds barred. What would it be and why? At the moment, it's the local as a TV series. 
from your lips to God's ears. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and uh, I think we we may have talked about this, Joey, in the last episode. Did we talk about who would play Mr. Uger? I think you I think have. we did because I was kind of evasive because I hate to just. Pan That's it right. Down you to said one person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we had this yeah. conversation about who was it. It wasn't Woody Harrelson because he was an LBJ, but it was. Oh, it was. Uh, it was like Ryan Gosling. That would be great. I would be tremendously happy. He would be yeah. perfect. <laughs> and that's what you said. Like, yeah, 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 sure, they'd be perfect. How about him? Oh, yeah, 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 be perfect. Because you don't want to <laughs> set your sights on one right now. Yeah, you don't want to get locked in your mind. It has to be this one person because someone new comes and they reinvent the role. So Exactly. Yeah. And it's out oh, of yeah, your hands. I didn't ask you, did you have a rapid fire question for Joey? I just wanted to know. No, I'm just, enjo- I'm just enjoying this. So I'm good. Okay. So, folks, as we begin to wrap, um, if you want to know more about Joey, go to joeyheartstone.com. You're going to be able to read about the book, and, of course, you're going to pick up a copy. Uh, We love the book. You'll love it, too. You'll find out about Your Honor, which is on Showtime right now, season two, in case you haven't picked that up yet, and we love it. Run, don't walk. (laughs) Well, Joey, send our love to Abby and Teddy. And of course, like we said just moments ago, we're going to come see you. We're going to play. We're, you know, we love LA partially. And we'd love to see kind you of, down sort of. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing you guys. And thank you so much for having me. I love being yeah. here. It's so fun to come back and talk about this. Well, maybe we should have a wrap party um, at the end of your honor so we can come back and we can. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. What if we did a rap party in L.A., record the show, use that for our episode? Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, Joey. When is is that Um, happening? I think it's March, like, 16th. Sometime mid-March is when the finale will air. I'm really excited about it. We're almost done editing it, and uh, it looks great. So I'm excited to hear what people think of it. That's one thing I did not say that I, and and because I'm a filmmaker, closet filmmaker, I love, I watch this show like a, like a, like a starving man would eat a nice steak dinner. Cause I just, I love the color. I love the saturation. I love the camera moves. I love the setup, the lighting, the filter. I mean, every, you know, I, I could sit here and rattle off directors that I love, but that would bore anyone who isn't into directors. But I, I look at it. I appreciate it. Here's what I'm getting at. I appreciate it for so many levels just beyond the story. I mean, you're going to, you know, you got a great story. Well, then you're just, you're tip top. But then when you have great production values and great actors, it just, you know, we're, can, honey, just tell me to stop geeking out over it. I'll stop. It's your process. It's great. I love it. <laughs> All right, Joey, get back to work. Thank you again for joining us here on the Thriller Zone. Thanks, Joey. Thanks for having me. So good Thank to you. see you. To see Have you. a great day. Thanks again to Joey Hartstone and my lovely wife, Tammy, for another edition of the Thriller Zone. Now, coming up next week, guess what? Mark Graney is on the show. Mark's a superstar rock star. This Gray Man novel, Burner, look at this thing. I could work out with it. Mark Graney is always the consummate professional, amazing talent, 
and he's on the show next week. I'm David Temple, your host. I'll see you next time for another edition of The Thriller Zone. Now in our fourth season. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.